0: Proudly made in America. Use the promo code Hannity in the upper right-hand corner. That's masterspas.com for up to $1,000 off. You can exercise, relax, recover with the only hot tub and swim spa brand I trust, masterspas.com. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. If you're like me and suffer from insomnia, you know what? That's not fun. You know, I tried everything. I couldn't get a good night's sleep. And this is neither drug nor alcohol induced. That's right. It is My Pillow. Mike Lindell invented it, and he fitted me for my first My Pillow, and it's changed my life. I fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and the good news, you can too. Just go to mypillow.com. Promo code Sean. And take advantage of one of Mike Lindell's best offers, his special four-pack. You get 50% off My MyPillow Premium Pillows to go anywhere pillows. Now, MyPillow's made in the USA has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee, no risk to you, and a 10-year warranty. You don't want to spend more sleepless nights on a pillow tossing in tourney that's not working for you. Just go to MyPillow.com right now, use the promo code SEAN, and you get Mike Lindell's special four-pack. You get two MyPillow premium pillows, two go anywhere pillows 50% off and you'll start getting the kind of peaceful and restful and comfortable and deep healing and recuperative sleep you've been craving and deserve. Mypillow.com promo code Sean. This
1: is Jonathan Gillum back in for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity radio show. The call-in number is 800-941-7326 800-941-Sean. I got a couple of guests in here. They like to spell numbers. So we always do it like that, eight hundred nine four one Sean. They're much smarter than I am, these two guys that are in here. I, I'll, I'll go into detail about who they are later. But uh, today is going to be a great show. Those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Jonathan Gillum. I am a former Navy SEAL, Federal Air Marshal, security contractor, special agent in the FBI, and author now of a book called Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. And uh, if you want to know how to do threat assessments on yourself and your home, well, this is the book for you. Go get it. Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, everywhere uh, that you uh, that they sell books. Go get it. We'll talk about more about that later. I hosted uh, on the 3rd, and I talked a lot about the reality of the Declaration of Independence and how most people don't even realize uh, the, the intricate details of the Declaration and how it speaks directly to the way our government and gov- many governments around the country are conducting themselves in present day. Uh, when I went through there and I read the bullet points, and those of you that, that uh, have not read the Declaration of Independence, there is a lot more to it than just you know, the uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's, not, there's a lot more to it than that. Okay that is the that is the good part of it but the rest of the of the declaration of independence is actually just that a declaration of independence from a tyrannical king a tyrannical prince and the way that they govern the characteristics of a tyrannical government now you just got through celebrating independence day yes it, the date was the 4th of July but it was independence day and you know we we go and we have our we relax we take our time off it's kind of weird when some of these holidays you know hit right in the middle of the week because everybody thought it was Saturday on Wednesday and it kind of gets everybody confused but when when you were there especially if you listen to this show hopefully it mattered a little bit more independence day it goes hand in hand with the declaration of independence when we declared our independence from Great Britain and the monarchy, the tyrannical monarchy. And I started thinking, you know, when I was sitting there yesterday, relaxing, having some drinks, eating some hamburgers and lobster, and I started thinking about other things that we take for granted. Some things we used to do like pray in school. We used to say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning when I was in school. There used to be uh, corporal punishment in school. You used to get paddled If you did something wrong, you would go home and probably get the same thing. You quite often were, in a way, shamed when you uh, did bad things in school. You were not looked at as somebody who deserves a trophy because uh, you showed up. Things have completely changed. And I started thinking about the Pledge of Allegiance, how we used to say that, and I know this is controversial, but I still believe in the the Pledge of Allegiance. And the the way that it came about, and I was reading up on it today uh, just to brush up on my history, um, people in the 1800s, in the end of the 1800s, several people uh, came up with variations of the Pledge of Allegiance. But people were looking for uh, reasons to pledge their dedication to this country. There was a, 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 already at that point, uh, because the, uh, independence had come in 1776 and then, uh, you know, in the later of 1800s, a hundred years later, we had a resurgence of Americanism, which is interesting because it's only a hundred years, but uh, evidently there had been some downslope and back up and there's a resurgence of it. And when you look at the pledge of allegiance and what people were seeking, it's pretty amazing. um, Compared to now, when you have uh, people talking about, uh, we need to get rid of the the national anthem. We don't even say the Pledge of Allegiance in school anymore. You have politicians uh, that literally, literally, folks, um, subscribe to the same doctrine as Stalin, as Marx, as Lenin, and now getting elected uh, the mayor of New York City, this new uh, congresswoman, Uh, from New York, a lot of from New York, blatantly saying I'm a democratic socialist, which is the same terminology they used uh, right around World War II, the communists, not just here in this country, but around the world. When you look at the Pledge of Allegiance, and this is what it says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It's very short, but people don't realize what they're saying when they pledge. When they do this pledge, they may get filled with inspiration. You know, they, there's certain way things you're supposed to do. Put your hand over your your right hand over your heart. If you have a headdress, you're supposed to take that off and hold that a certain way. You're supposed to face the flag. It is as close to a military pledge. As there is. And one of the reasons, very timely, once again, like we were talking about with the Declaration of Independence, one of the reasons why they came up with the pledge was for immigrants. Because they wanted people that were immigrating to this country to be focused on becoming Americans, learning our language, learning our customs, learning the reality of. What our government was, and that it was a republic of states, and people that were coming here understood that as well, and there were many people who were turned away that were not chosen to come into this country during that period, of the first hundred years, for various reasons. Sometimes sickness uh, could have been other other reasons that we would not uh, that we would vilify today, but they were turned away. But when they did come here, they subscribed to our way of life. They subscribed to our government. They weren't trying to come here and change the government. They weren't trying to come here and make and and take what they had there and do it here, which is very interesting. I'll just a little side note: when I was in the FBI and we worked, uh, I'm not going to go into the details of where I worked when I was on the criminal side, but we worked around a lot of different cultures of immigrants. Many of them, most of them, illegal. And it was astounding to me how they come from somewhere uh, where it's oppressive, somewhere in certain times, in certain places, it's a communist nation, and they come here and live exactly the way that they did there, exactly the same. They don't change the way they live. They, uh, their lives are no different than the day they left the country that they came from. And every bit of their culture, they don't learn our language. They don't understand our laws. They don't understand what our government is all about yet they claim asylum when they come here, and then they live the exact same way. I always found that very interesting, because when you look at, and and this is one of the things that happens when you get away from something like the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You're, You're literally pledging allegiance to this thing that many have taken a knee to, have tried to burn or have burned, have protested, not even knowing I could go and do an entire show on the symbology that's in the flag. But most people don't even understand the symbology. They don't understand the power behind the flag. They don't understand the unity and the unification that that flag represents and that it's theirs. And that's the thing that really, really gets me. People that are born here or migrate here are free. They're born in freedom or they come and obtain the freedom. And then they turn around and either try to get rid of it instill another form of government or they don't even they're too lazy to even wake up and do any type of studying to educate themselves on the reality of what they have. And I, if you go back and look at the, the Pledge of Allegiance again, I pledge allegiance to the flag, that that symbol of our unity, that symbol of blood and sacrifice in all of the states in the republic coming together, that powerful symbol, pledging allegiance to that flag. They think now that that's the 1% that we'll just give that, that uh, allegiance to the military people. Let them go out there and fight it. And whatever about the cops, we don't even care about the cops, but until we need them. That's the way these people think. But in the pledge in the beginning, it says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, not to a socialist country, not to China, not to Russia, not to Honduras or any other place in Mexico or Central South America where people are constantly coming from saying that they are oppressed, saying that they uh, want asylum, When they come over from China, we want asylum, they come here. They don't come here and assimilate. They come here and live exactly the same way that they did there. They're not pledging allegiance to even the flag of this country. And they, the second line, and to the republic for which it stands, they have no idea Many of the young people, I would say a vast majority, I talked to a young person yesterday, didn't even have American history in school. I'm shocked by that. And we have to understand that this is one of the reasons why we continue to have these types of problems. You don't understand the symbology in the flag. You have no idea that our country is a republic of states. A republic of states. Individual governments that stand against a strong federal government, that stand against a strong centralized government, that stand strong for freedoms and individual freedoms. That's why the states are so strong or should be so strong. Now, it's supposed to be one nation under God. People think that saying God is uh, is crazy now, that uh, the, the planets are going to align and, and things are going to fall from the sky if you put God in anything. But that's not the case. And with liberty and justice for all. They love that part. And a lot of people would want to add equality and and fairness in there as well. If I had to add one word in there, it would be liberty and justice and opportunity, whoever wants to go grab it for all. (laughs) But people don't want opportunity. They want fairness and equality. They want handouts. And why is that? because they don't understand what they're born into or what they immigrate to. They want it to change for them. They don't want to come and figure out and understand and study that it's a melting pot that we have to assimilate. Now, we're going to go to break here in just a second. I'm going to come back and read a a speech that I gave, and I started that at the end of the show last week, and a lot of people wrote me on social media they want to hear me say the entire thing so i'm going to read that when i come back this is jonathan Gilliam filling in for sean hannity the sean hannity radio show you can find me on twitter at j gilliam underscore ceiling on facebook at jonathan t gilliam go get my book sheep no more the art of awareness and attack survival i will teach you how to do threat assessments on your own life go get it we'll talk about it here in a little bit we'll be right back this is jonathan gilliam Filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Your resident Navy SEAL, that's United States Navy SEAL, not Thai Navy SEAL, man. They're all in the news, and our prayers are going out uh, to these uh, children and to the rescuers that are trying to free those kids stuck in these caves. It is... Whew. That is a mission that is going to be very difficult. They're finding out now, in case you don't know the the update, not only do they have to concern themselves with the rising water, but now uh, the oxygen levels, which I found fascinating from a rescuer standpoint, as uh, they've had so many rescuers go in. This is like a six-hour trek that they have depleted the oxygen levels from 25 to 15% inside these caves, and now – they're thinking they may have to get them out sooner than later because of the oxygen levels. Uh, so it is a very perilous thing. They're going to uh, uh, they're gonna have to do what I hated to say, but they're going to have to go for it at some point. And when you're doing a rescue, you don't want to just go for it. You want it to be planned and methodical. And I have a feeling the way all these things are starting to work their way out that uh, they're going to have to start moving faster than, than uh, slower. Listen, I just want to tell you real quick because we're going to another break. Um, call the numbers 800 941 Sean, 800 941 7326. You don't want to turn the channel. This is going to be a great show. Uh, we're going to have uh, Luke Rosiak coming on in just a little bit to talk about the I Want uh, Imran Iwan uh, and this scandal that nobody's really covering. He's going to break it down for us. My good buddy Jeff Hyde, he is one of the uh, the band members of Eric Church. Uh, The country, the incredible country music singer. This whole band is filled with raw talent that you just can't imagine. And they're, they're pretty funny guys too. Uh, He's going to come on. We're going to talk about his uh, Grammy uh, or he's a Grammy nominated songwriter. We're going to talk about his uh, new album, Norman Rockwell world, play some of the music for that. And I played some of it uh, on uh, uh, the show on Tuesday, Peter Schweitzer, who I am an amazing fan of this guy. I was stoked to know he's going to come on. Uh, to talk about his new book, Seeker Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends and President uh, of the Government Accountability. He is President of the Government. I'm I'm all over the place with this. I'll tell you more about Peter Schweitzer in a minute. And then last but not least, Greg Jarrett is coming back. I asked him to come back and talk about some of this stuff. And we're going to get back into this deep state. Come right back here in just a minute. I'm going to read this uh, speech that I wrote and talk a little bit more about the importance of assimilation and the reality of what's going on in this country. It's Jonathan Gilliam. Find me on Twitter, jgilliam__seal, and on Facebook at Jonathan T. Gilliam. And go get my book, Sheep No More. If you're a truck driver driving down the road, go get it. We'll be right back.
2: Exposing left-wing media bias. No stone left unturned. The Sean Hannity Show is back on the air.
1: This is Jonathan Gillum. Back in for my good buddy Sean Hannity. On the Sean Hannity Radio Show. And I uh, just wanted to um, start out here. Well, we got a little bit of time. About I said that uh, last week at the end of the show, or is actually this week at the end of uh, the show on the 3rd, I read a little... Um, a piece of a speech that I gave, and uh, and I want to go over this again with you guys because I wrote this speech. It's a very interesting speech. I was going to be talking in Reno uh, with a Republican group in Reno, and my good buddy Michael Jack. That's where I met him. He's a a, a former senior FBI special agent, and so I, it was about three in the morning. My old, uh, dog Rico, who's uh, since passed away, was there with me, and we were. Uh, I was brainstorming. And um, I'm thinking, what am I going to speak about, you know? And I was listening to uh, Ronald Reagan's speech that somebody has uh, put together, one of his speeches with music. And uh, I was listening to it over and over again. And this stuff just popped right out at me. And uh, and so I started to read this on Friday's show. I didn't have enough time to finish it. And and I got a load of emails and requests for me to finish this. And then if I could put it up online, which I'll do. I'll put it up online. So here it is, and it's called the Great Mountain. Um, There's a great mountain of which many minds, young and old, have gazed upon. God himself shines his grace upon this great mountain, light so pure and loving that it draws forth greatness and inspires true seekers to sacrifice for the greater good so that all may partake in its glorious victory. Leaders of men, inspired individuals, freedom seekers have fought And sought the path to the top of this great mountain hoping to find freedom unity and equal rights under God Anyone that has fought the good fight and striven to achieve the greater good has looked up and eventually realized that reaching the top of that great Mountain is not unachievable But it is a quest that can only be achieved through participation of the entire citizenry Now this is the truth about that mountain All must strive as though the climb depends on their efforts alone, while at the same time everyone involved must understand that no single human is capable of sustaining a solo climb, nor are they worthy of standing at the pinnacle and claiming it as their own. But there is another truth about this place where the light of God shines and his glory prevails, and I'm going to take a break from the speech for a second because I want you to think about this, folks, what I'm about to say here. When I was watching the words of Ronald Reagan and when I was concentrating on the current events that are happening on the daily basis, I I knew that communism and socialism and people who had not migrated to this country and assimilated or people that were born in freedom here, how they themselves had failed somehow, some way, had failed to... Follow and understand and study and appreciate the very country in which they live. And when I started to look at the people that they cling to, that they follow, well, it just popped right out, so I'll continue. Those that wish to control and enslave their fellow man will also desire ownership of this great mountain. They will lie and convince the masses to give their lives for the climb, while consistently feeding them a distorted perception of the purpose and meaning of the quest to reach the top that happens every single day we see it in mainstream media we see it in politics we see it in the schools this distorted understanding leads straight to servitude and dependency now unable to think for themselves the masses duped in the climb through deception and trickery and nefarious lies will begin to believe that they themselves are working together for collective equality. There's that word. Yet the sad reality is that the wolves of power have no interest in sharing their position at the top. The wolves use the knowledge and experience of the sheep like rungs on a ladder to increase their position and stature, while the sheep which we see every single day in this country, folks. The young people that are protesting. The big money people that blindly give their money away because they never took the time out to study who this country is and the reality of what's going on. The the people that... Uh, sit like with this Sarah Huckabee Sanders in this restaurant, the people that go in and yell at Sarah Huckabee Sanders, then follow her to another restaurant and oppress her as she's just trying to eat. Those people would flip over backwards if somebody did the same thing to them. And the politicians like Maxine Waters right there with them, instigating it. Yet the sad reality is that the wolves of interest? Uh, the wolves of power have no interest in sharing their position. That's the thing; they have no interest in you. I wish there were. I wish there were a, th- a ten thousand liberals right in front of me right now. We just simply have to look at the at the simple litmus test. This isn't the speech. This is me talking. Are the things that the politicians are pushing forward things that take away from your freedom? And give those freedoms to the state so that the state becomes the centralized power, not you, not empowering you, but taking away from your power, making you dependent and making them powerful. If that's the case, you should wake up and, and walk away from those people. The wolves, back to the speech, the wolves used the knowledge and experience of the sheep like rungs on a ladder to increase their positions and stature. While the sheep blindly give over their freedom and ultimately their lives, not to get something greater, but they give over their lives to oppression. Don't you see that's what's happening on a daily basis here? When we talk later, a little bit later uh, in the hour, when we talk about the reality of all these promises and all this, uh, these things, these ideas that people show up with, these socialists and communists that are in our government now— And you think that you're going to get something, you're going to get oppressed. History shows it. There's no way around it. Yet there is one last truth that we must understand, and we must understand it now. It is a truth that cannot be comprehended by the great liars of history or those in league with them. That truth is this. While God may have granted freedom to each individual to be ensured through the Constitution, Those rights are completely dependent upon a unified citizenry, of which we are failing. And the great mountain of which I speak, where the sacred pinnacle exists, upon which the light of God shines and his glory reigns, that mountain, my friends, is named America, and its true location is in the hearts of its citizenry. The mountain upon which the power-hungry liars climb is, in fact, a completely different mountain which many call by different names. Some call it communism while others now call it democratic socialism and its pinnacle is known as tyranny, excuse me, tyranny and its purpose is slavery. Think about that. The pinnacle of America is empowerment of the people. It's unity. It's opportunity. The pinnacle of the mountain which the hungry, the power hungry wolves long for is tyrannical and slavery and oppression. You see this? I'm shocked at how people miss this on a daily basis. I'm shocked. This mountain, that mountain, the bad mountain, exists in the desires and lies of those that hate freedom. They hate equality and equal rights under God, and they hate unity. They hate America. And so we realized the most dangerous enemy any country could ever face. Remember, folks, I wrote this speech before Donald Trump was elected. Let me, re- let me start this paragraph again. And so we realized the most dangerous enemy any country can ever face, the second enemy spoken about in our oath of office, has risen the domestic enemy. Anybody out there that has ever served in the military, that has ever been in law enforcement, Anybody that's ever taken an oath, had a security clearance, you should realize when you swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, it's not just foreign enemies. All enemies, foreign and domestic. And the domestic enemy has risen. If you don't see that, you are blind. As we go through the rest of this show, you should see that the people that Peter Schweitzer is going to talk about those are domestic enemies. The people that Luke Rosiak is going to talk about shortly, those are domestic enemies. Greg Jarrett's going to come on at the end of the hour. Guess what? He's not talking. They say they throw Russia in there. They're talking about domestic enemies. So let's go back to the speech. For the first time in American history, those that wish to do us harm and impose their will of servitude upon the citizenry is not an existential threat. They were born here as American citizenry becomes divided and more so and more so you can see these power brokers of the new communism lurking about. They call it globalism. They call it democratic socialism. It's all the same centralized power. They spread propaganda in plain sight while they perform their devious work in a covert manner, drawing tyranny ever closer Remember this, tyranny is in fact, and I want you to think about If it, if, if you haven't really, if you've tuned out because I'm reading this speech, this is what you need to pay attention to. If you're a truck driver, a school teacher, a teenager that's being forced to sit in the back of the car while your parents drive and listen to this, you have to remember this. Tyranny is in fact made possible when a citizenry gives their freedom over to a controlling entity, and tyranny is sustained when that same entity crushes the people that gave away their freedom. That's what continues to happen whenever socialism leads to communism, leads to fascism, leads to dictatorship, what happens? The people give over their freedom and then the tyrannical government crushes them, crushes those same people that just empowered that centralized state. If America's citizenry are able to regain its unity as one people, they could stand firm and continue to stand free in light of God, in his glorious presence, prosperous and protected against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. We could do this, folks. So you see, my fellow Americans, there is no need for a revolution. Our revolution happened over 200 years ago, 242 years ago this week. What we need now is unity. So I say this to you as we get ready to take a break here in just a minute. Take heed to my words, America, for I am a voice crying out in the world. Make your path straight for the Lord to travel, and only then will you find that great mountain. Only there will you find America. I'm Jonathan Gillum. We're going to come right back. You can find me on Twitter, SEAL, and on Facebook at Jonathan T. Gillum. You can call in. and go get my book, folks. If you like the way I, I write, go get Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. I will teach the truckers how to do a threat assessment, the parents, the kids, the teachers, the superintendents, the cops, the mayors, the president. You want to know how to do a threat assessment? That's what this does. It teaches you how to assess the threats in your life and how to defend against them. Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. Go get it. We'll be right back on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity Radio Show. This is Jonathan Gilman filling in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity, your resident Navy SEAL, FBI special agent, security contractor, author. I've, I try to do it all, folks. You only got one life to live, so you might as well live it. Uh, I, I tell you what, let's go to – I'm going to take a phone call re- real quick. Let's go to Kevin in Jamestown, Ohio. Go, go ahead, Kevin.
3: Hey, uh, uh, you know, I really enjoyed your speech, really did. It really hit me to the heart, and I believed every word. And also, since you said you're a SEAL, I appreciate what, what, what you did for the country. So I have the utmost respect for all, every military member, and everyone should be that way for them. I believe that in my heart uh, every day.
1: Thank you very much for all that, Kevin. I appreciate it. And yes. uh, are you a truck driver by chance?
3: No, I don't. But I do have family that is.
1: Yeah, I didn't know because you're driving out right now. I didn't know if you were truck driver yeah, or not. We get that, a lot of no, truck drivers I'm, calling.
3: I'm not. in front of my job. I got to work here just a little bit. That's so why I'm going to call in real fast.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And how was your Independence Day?
3: It was good. Had some time my mom, my dad. Usually,
1: it's uh, it's very interesting how people have just forgotten what Independence Day is all about. They don't even call. It, they call it the Fourth of July. That's it.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, that's the day we declared independence and every day since I do play a, music, a musician, I play guitar, I play the I play the national anthem every day on this day.
1: Awesome. Well listen, so, let me tell you something. Thank thank you for being a great American and thank you for uh remembering uh, all the people who have served and for understanding what uh the Independence Day was all about and we're gonna have you're gonna like this. At four thirty, Jeff Hyde's gonna come on. He's one of the the uh the band members for eric church and uh, he's going to talk about his new uh album norman Rockwell world and uh and we're going to play a little bit from it so uh, stay tuned james or kevin i'm sure i'm glad that you're you're listening i appreciate it
3: i'll be able to hear it
1: well it'll you can get it on replay buddy <laughs> all right well i'm gonna let you go thank you very much and uh everybody else is out there I hope you stay tuned for the rest of the show. It is going to be an incredible show coming up here. I'm going to bring in some of these experts who have written books and uh, guided in all this stuff. And again, Jeff Hyde, uh, you can find him at jeffhydemusic.com or go on iTunes and get his album. And then when we talk about it, you can listen to it. This is John the Gillum filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. And find me on Twitter at underscore seal and on Facebook at JonathanTGilliam. We'll be right back. This is John the Gillum back in for my good buddy Sean Hannity, the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Hope you had a great Independence Day, and uh, those of you that had to go back to work today, well, I hope you're enjoying the show. It may be, it will be, not may, will. Oh, where am I going? It will be so good, you will want to sit in your car and listen to this. If you are, uh, if you're pulling in uh, your house or or you're just getting ready to leave work, um, you got a lot of stuff coming up here, and. I I am shocked when I was just going over um, the amount of stuff that the uh, Imran uh, Imran Awan and the reality is I think his whole family was in on all this stuff. But listen, there's so much stuff that these people were involved with that it blows my mind that as of last week, they're only, only Imran is going to be charged with bank fraud, I think is what it was, and the possibility there is his attorneys are going to move to just have uh, probation for him. Anyway, we're going to bring in uh, Luke Rosiak. Uh, He's an investigative reporter for the Daily Caller, and uh, you know all the latest updates on this uh, scandal, and we know we use this word scandal a lot, Luke, Um, but this is a scandal, and I think the scandal is not just what these people did, but the scandal is also, it's another example of how nobody is going to pay a price. You there? Is he there?
3: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. This is a uh, DOJ deep state cover-up now, and it shows that uh, Democrats are unaccountable under the law. They can do whatever they want. So Imram today, after uh, over a year of delays, uh, was... Uh, Basically, he got a plea deal that gave him essentially full immunity in exchange for pleading guilty to a minor bank fraud charge. Uh, The DOJ gave in to all the defense requests, including probation, and they put a highly unusual paragraph in his plea deal saying he did nothing wrong in the House. The the problem is that contradicts server logs, procurement records, and findings by the House inspector general, House accountants, Democratic whistleblowers, and the Capitol Police. So the Democrats know how to play this thing. You can rig the justice system, and then you get the New York Times and the Washington Post to say, uh, Trump's attorney general has debunked uh, his conspiracy theories. That's not what happened here. the the evidence speaks for itself, and it it didn't come from the media. It didn't come from conspiracy. It came from Democratic whistleblowers, all that evidence I just named. That evidence still exists. So someone did something wrong here, and that's kind of the point. See, that's what, I don't, that's, that's what I don't has, trust
1: about these IG reports, though. These IG reports like we just had uh, uh, you know, about uh, Comey and, and uh, Strzok and Page, um, the IG is a senior executive service member. I, I did a whole show on the SESers and how that is where the deep state exists. There's no overwatch. Um, they, they, are the, they are the ones who are either doing the wrong or covering up the wrongdoings. And uh, whenever one of these IG reports come out, they may point stuff out, but there's there, nothing ever happens to these people. Nothing.
3: Yeah, and that's kind of what happened here is the IG documented what happened, and the problem was that there was no follow-up. And you get into a different kind of shielding here where you have the House of Representatives says basically what happens in the House stays in the House. We have separation of powers, and that means uh, even if crimes occur here, we are going to block prosecutors, and that's basically what they did. They just said, back off. We're going to deal with this on our own, and then they, they never dealt with it. And the lawyers have basically hinted at what they would have said at trial. They would have implicated Democratic members and staff in a financial scheme involving cooking the books at the House of Representatives, mm-hmm. and they also would have said that Congress doesn't care about IT security at all, that it's their fault uh, when these guys were busted making unauthorized access to servers, logging into to members personal usernames log into servers of members that had previously fired them they're going to say oh it's all your guys fault you didn't stop us it turns out democrats don't care about cybersecurity at all and obviously they can't say that when they're talking about russia and hacking and all that so uh they basically said uh it seems like they were going to turn this around on democrats and the democrats said forget it then let's just let them walk uh and to do that you know, Paul Ryan, I'm not trying to let him off the hook. He's in charge of the House, and he didn't say anything about any of this. So yeah. this is a full-on deep state cover-up, but what happened in court this week is fully what we expected. The writing has been on the wall since the beginning. If 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 he hadn't, if this wasn't rigged from the beginning, this guy would have been arrested before the 2016 election when the IG found that he was making unauthorized access to servers, and that's what all the uh, his fellow IT guys told me from the beginning. They said, we know something's up here because if we did what he's accused of doing, man, we would be in jail the same day.
1: Yeah. You know, and also uh, I'm looking at, you know, this whole list of things that um, that he is connected with or things that have happened. I want to know who, who the FBI agents were that um, took his uh, his wife um, as she was fleeing the country. Uh, with uh, cardboard box of possessions. It says, I'm reading here, the FBI agent said an affidavit. They approached her at the airport, but she refused to talk to them. they found $12,000 in cash, but let her board anyway, writing, they do not believe that Alvi has any intention to return to the United States. Uh, that's exactly why you wouldn't let her go, because she may leave, and she may have uh, knowledge of these things. She is a participant. And then the other thing was, um, the connections of foreign entities. A former business partner of Imran's uh, father says the father handed over a USB uh, of da- uh, data to a Pakistani official um, and that Imran claimed he uh, had the power to change uh, the U.S. president. Now, if that's the case, why wasn't that individual interviewed? None of them were interviewed. I mean, these yeah, things are that's just shocking.
3: Exactly right. Um, so when Mr. McGo, Jeff Sessions, says that he couldn't find any crimes in this case. It's just what you said. They apprehended this woman at the at the airport, and they found $12,000 of cash. When you have undeclared cash over $10,000, you can be arrested for that alone. They knew she wasn't coming back. They believed she wasn't coming back, and they let her go. I mean, that's the writing has been on the wall on this from the beginning. Uh, in fact, even when they first banned Imran, what happened is they busted him for this stuff, at the high, basically, in the, the critical time of the election, in like August of 2016, and they said he's something very, very bad is going on in the House Network, and they took no action. They waited until right after the election, and actually days after Trump's inauguration, before they even banned him, and they actually let him leave the country in the meantime. So when they busted, when they put out, when they finally banned him from the network in February 2017, he had already he had already left the country. And he wound up coming back in order to go into the building at midnight and leave Debbie Wasserman Schultz's laptop in a phone booth at midnight. And the police seized that, and Wasserman Schultz desperately wanted it back. She threatened the Capitol Police over it. And then they kept delaying. They delayed the court date seven times, and they said they were haggling over Debbie Wasserman's laptop, whether they could look at it or not. And there's no indication that they ever did. So when they say they found nothing wrong, the, the reason is obvious. It's just like with Hillary Clinton. They, they didn't look yeah
1: and on top of that you also have uh his entire family was on the house payroll it wasn't just him that's the other i mean you know all these people left they're gone and they were on they were paid high salaries despite most of them not having any training in it you don't hear any of that
3: they got paid seven million dollars between them over the years and uh, one of them was working at McDonald's. They didn't. They didn't. He didn't work there. Um, you know, uh, Congressman Emanuel Cleaver admitted he was paying the McDonald's guy, but he never met him before. And Imram, who wasn't even on his payroll, was logging into his servers. I mean, these people would just let. A random person who's not on their staff, log onto their servers, has full control. These guys had access to all the emails of one in five House Democrats. So the way that they're protecting them is for the reasons that I mentioned. But then there's also even the possibility that they have, you know, when you've got all these people's emails, I mean, my God, you have such leverage over them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Listen, I I haven't been an FBI agent and uh, in, in seeing the way once you get to a certain level in government, how you're treated. And this whole like we have special uh, there's uh, certain agents that that's their job is to strictly deal with anything congressional and politics. There's special ways it has to be investigated. Same thing with clergy members. Same thing with uh, doctors. I don't agree with any of that. I mean, when as soon as you start saying special ways that people have to be investigated, what you're doing is you're basically setting them up uh, for exploitation of power. And that's basically what I see here. I don't know if you all, you yourself, uh, uh, Luke, if you've ever looked at the Senior Executive Service Program. If you haven't, I'm trying to push that on every journalist. That's a real journalist out there. Uh, There's so many people who call themselves journalists these days. But anybody that has uh, any ability to research, start looking at the Senior Executive Service Program. We saw this when I was in the Bureau, uh, and I see it now. These are people that have... Uh, political ties. There's no Overwatch. They uh, and and it's not just the S.E.Sers. It's the people that work for them as well. It's not just the DOJ or the FBI. Lois Lerner. Um, any political appointee. Any um, uh, Mueller was and is an S.E.Ser because special prosecutors are S.E.Sers. Um, and uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, was an S.E.Ser. And they they have this ultra power, this uh, ruling elite mentality, and there is no overwatch and it doesn't say anything in the constitution about this so i don't know where this started
3: yeah that's exactly right i mean at the at the end of the day what we had here is jeff sessions was unwilling to prosecute misconduct that would infuriate 40 democratic members of congress especially because paul ryan wasn't standing up uh to enforce the rules of the house so you know you talk about a sanctuary city Paul Ryan is running a sanctuary congress right now because we know we know that purchase orders were falsified in a way that allowed equipment to disappear. We know they were paying people who who weren't really showing up for work. Uh you know, we know that these guys lied on their house their sworn ethics disclosures to hide LLCs that they had including a you know, a car, a purported car dealership that took money from an Iraqi government minister while they were working for members of the Intelligence Committee. Why do we even have ethics disclosures if you can just lie on them? Are they even,
1: are the R1s even American citizens?
3: They are dual citizens, but they spend significant amount of time in Pakistan and they actually do their jobs from Pakistan. They were controlling um, congressional computers wow. from Pakistan. Wow
1: that I'm, I'm we're i'm sure Lauren is holding her ears over there that's is Lauren isn't that when you hear stuff like that i mean
0: it's mind blowing
4: and disheartening it really is that yeah. these guys are getting away with all of this yeah
1: i worked at mcdonald's when i was in high school i didn't make 7 million dollars <laughs> <laughs> so you know here's here's the thing about all this um is that when you look and i've been saying this for the longest time i don't think that when you look at uh, the Republican establishment and the Democratic establishment, they have, may have different um, narratives. They may have, may have different uh, motivations at times, but there's protectionism and elitism uh, that is shared by both. And an example of this, the same mentality, is the complaining and the griping of Obamacare while Obama was in there, and then the day that, the president, that president Trump came into office, they didn't have a, a new health care plan for him. They they didn't have they, if they really hated it they would have said Mr President here you go but they didn't think he was going to win and when he won they, they their little cash cow of no telling what all these people do uh, was now dismantled and so we still don't have uh, a, a replacement for Obamacare we still don't have um, immigration fix we still don't have all these things because in I think when it gets gets down to the thick of this they all work together.
3: I think that's exactly what we've seen here. They're all kind of protecting incumbents. They're all on the same team. And it would be embarrassing to pull back the cover of the kind of thing that really goes on uh, in Congress. And uh, they preferred uh, – it's kind of mutually assured destruction, right? I mean, because the Democrats were telling the Republicans, look, the shoe might be on the other foot next time. So let's just uh, let's just make this all go away. Yep.
1: Listen, hey. I can't thank you enough for coming on here. Uh, Keep doing the great investigative work. So many, like I said before, you know this. So many people say I'm a journalist. I don't know what they are. Uh, Luke Rosiak, uh, investigative reporter for the Daily Caller. I guess I can find you there, Luke. That's right. All right, buddy. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. This is Jonathan Gillum filling in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity Radio Show. You can find me on Twitter, jgilliam underscore seal. And on Facebook at Jonathan T. Gilliam. I'm also on Instagram, but I don't know. Maybe somebody can explain to me what Instagram's all about one day. And go get my book, Sheep No More The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. We'll come back. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We got more to talk about. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Gilliam, back in for my good buddy Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity radio show. Literally, there are Martians clear across the universe listening to this. That's what Lauren told me. I believe everything Lauren and Linda says. So, listen, you know, that music that you're listening to right there, we've been talking about uh, all this stuff in politics. Um, I've been talking about the Pledge of Allegiance. I've been talking about uh, on the 3rd when I hosted, I talked about the Declaration of Independence. You know, I just I've met uh, some of the, uh, the the people who work around Eric Church. I met Eric Church, his tour manager, uh, the band members. I it is unbelievable. They should do a study of how this whole group works because it's amazing of the teamwork and the camaraderie and the patriotism that exists within this this group in Nashville. It's unbelievable. And um, so, one of this special group, Jeff Hyde, who you just heard there. Uh, just released an album, and it's called Norman Rockwell World. You can get that at com and on iTunes. And I figured, you know, it, I might as well reach out to Jeff and bring him on the show. Uh, I think in between uh, playing music and being on tour, he's a male model, something like that. Jeff, isn't that right? You're a male model?
5: Uh, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough business. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: when you look like I do. I well,
1: you. I have a face for radio, you know, so listen
5: Uh, me
1: too i figured i would have you on i i told you the first time i met you um by the way the first time i I met you and and, uh, driver i didn't even know you guys are so sincere and uh you're you're not out there you know with your egos and stuff but you're an amazing musician and uh you told me you told you very much man you told me that you learned on the banjo that's that was the first is that the first instrument you learned on
5: yeah, uh, my dad always uh, kept a banjo under his bed, and from the time I was a little kid, my grandparents would take us to see bluegrass music, and uh, so I was always a fan uh, from from an early age, and uh, found a man that lived just 20 miles from my hometown, and uh, in the thrifty nickel, it was this little trade newspaper, and uh the thrifty nickel just a,
1: that's just that's awesome yeah.
5: <laughs> and uh you know just on a whim i thought maybe i could find somebody to teach me some tricks of the trade on this instrument and uh there was a an ad in there that said banjo lessons so that's how it all got started
1: so it, once you learn that um you know we talked a little bit about this uh one day you you had your your concept is that you wanted to be a musician, you were interested in music
5: yeah that's that was really all I was interested in,
1: and uh
5: I think those uh musicians that end up being successful um, that's the case with with most of us is we we don't have a plan b, so we've got to do what we can to make the plan <laughs> a work out. Sometimes that's the best uh, motivation. A lot of that are, <laughs> oh, man, yeah, there's a lot of people that are just as talented and, and not, if uh, if not more so, but you just, uh, it's a long road to hoe, you know, so you got to be dedicated to it.
1: So who was your, when you started, who were the big influencers for you? I know everybody always asks that question musicians, but were there people that were just like, man, this is an influence?
5: Well, early on, my, uh, the Statler brothers were one of my biggest influences, probably because of my dad uh, being a huge fan of theirs. But uh, I, I was just a huge fan of theirs. And uh, Tom T. Hall was another big influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, artists that wrote their own songs um, had a big, big impact on me.
1: Now, you are a writer. You do, you do a lot of writing. Yes, sir. And uh, has that been something that you developed? Uh, Were you a musician first and a writer second, or is that those things come together at the same time? Well, uh, they they kind of go
5: hand in hand. Uh, I I remember as a little kid, I would make up my own lyrics to uh, popular songs that I just put my lyrics in there, and I did too. uh, But we can't say
1: we can't say any of those on the radio though.
5: Oh man, but uh yeah, so it just kind of developed slowly. It's a it's a thing that you it's kind of like playing the banjo or any instrument or writing songs, you you never stop learning cuz there's always somebody out there better than you.
1: Yeah, I, I when I wrote my book uh, Sheep No More, which I gave you a copy of, uh I I realized after a while um that your fingers, you can actually think through your fingers after you after you get used to that and writing um you, you you can put passion into the words and i know that people who've never written may not understand that but it, it takes a while but after a while you start to literally think as you're writing
5: yeah uh, you get to where you're not looking at your fingers wondering how the heck they're doing that uh, because when you do that uh, something bad's going to happen you're going to have a <laughs> You're gonna have a mess up, which I try not to do on stage. Right. That's the two the two main things I always try to do is uh try not to hit any wrong notes, which is always a challenge. And then make sure your pants are zipped up before you walk on stage. <laughs> that's two that's the two secrets to being in show business that I've picked up.
1: That's it. That's the two secrets. All right. Well that's that's good yep. to know. So, yeah. so what was now I know. So what was? Uh, see, that's another good thing about radio. My pants can be uh, completely unzipped and nobody's going to know the difference. So, but I always try to focus. You know, I try to rise to a higher standard, so I always try to make sure that that's fixed. Right. So well, it never hurts. <laughs> so when you when you came up with this album, first of all, is this your first album? You know, I have a sister who's a singer. She's had albums, but is this your first album? Or is this uh, is there something special about this album?
3: Well, this is the
5: first one that I would tell anybody about. <laughs> um, I, I had an earlier attempt years ago, but I was young and uh, and green, and you could tell. But uh, this album is just a collection of songs that I've written since I've been here, which has been about 15 years now. And, uh, uh, of course, it's, it's hard to get songs recorded by artists. Uh, every now and then, you... If you're lucky, you, you get one recorded, but you end up with a a lot of songs you're really proud of that are just kind of sitting there that don't have a uh, a life of their own right uh, outside the the publishing desk. And so that was kind of the goal of this was to um, put out a record that gave some of these songs uh, a broader a broader audience, you know.
1: What song on there Do you think Really stands out uh, Or was the initial uh, Push for this Is there Is there a particular song
5: Well Norman Rockwell World Is uh, a song I wrote with A couple of my friends Clint Daniels And Michael Heaney uh, About seven years ago And it's just one that I've always been Really proud of And that was kind of The the song that we built The record around And uh
1: why, so tell me yeah. real quick because I want to play a part of that. You said um, first off when we were talking today about how the reality of the world is as opposed to when it was in in Norman Rockwell's paintings, and that was kind of some of the yeah. motivation from this.
5: Yeah, it just seems to get crazier all the time. Yeah, and of course I'm I'm sure they thought the same thing back then. But um,
1: why don't we play? Why don't we play yeah. a few minutes of that? There, go or a few seconds of it. Go ahead. Thank you, so. Yeah, thank you.
5: Mama's
2: cooking in the kitchen, supper tables, giving things. Jeff Hyde. And Grandpa stands with pride as old glory is unfurled. They're on the front porch rocking in a Norman
1: Rockwell world. You know, Jeff, one of the things about um, about Norman Rockwell was that everybody was always a whole family. You know, you didn't see two parents over there. You didn't see, uh, you know, it was like it was a real family picture,
5: right? Yeah, kind of back to back to a simpler time. Yeah.
1: When I said two parents, what I meant was, uh, two, two, like, you're, you're not having two Christmases. That's what I meant to say. But oh, uh, uh, um, definitely, yeah. yeah. So, um, when so uh, when you started writing this, uh, and you you started crafting this, and you had these other songs, you started bringing them together. Um, we, we've we played, last week I played, or earlier this week I played Fiction. I have to ask you, <laughs> where did that song come from? Well, I tell you what, before you say well, that, let's play just a few seconds of, of Fiction uh, that we okay. came in with. Hold on one second, we'll see. <laughs> nice intro.
3: Nice <laughs> intro.
2: I used to think of myself as a storyteller that I could really weave a tail and spin a yarn I could sit down and write you a million seller with pen and paper on the back of my guitar but this turn of events sure got me spinning I'm second-guessing everything I thought I knew This unforeseen ending of a great beginning I couldn't make it up if I wanted to Cause there ain't no words to say, lines to rhyme, chords to play To paint the depiction of him why turn around thinking around, just it down, I can't write enough to keep
5: up with the truth.
1: Okay. So when you wrote that, <laughs> <laughs> were you thinking about mainstream media?
5: Well, honestly, that, that uh kind of harkens back to uh, the Statler brothers because I keep up with Don Reed uh, has a web page. He's, he's their lead singer and wrote a lot of their songs. And uh, he, uh, he has a blog that he um, periodically puts out there. And one of the, one of the things he said was, he was just mentioning how crazy the world is sometimes and how uh, he hadn't written, and he's written a few books uh, and, and, a couple of them have been fiction books, and he said yeah, some of my fans have asked why I hadn't written fiction lately, and it's because I can't keep up with the truth. And uh, <laughs> it's and true, though. That was really it, it is. It's uh, and so I, I thought well, that'd be a pretty cool song if you could write it around a relationship, you know. But it definitely um, can be taken
1: many different ways how crazy the
5: world is you
1: know let me ask, I, I, let me ask you this. Go ahead. let me ask you this real quick so i know when i hear myself on the radio i sometimes shriek because uh your voice sounds different but when you hear yourself singing you have to be proud of the way that you sound i mean your instruments the way you uh the way you play your music the way you write it must fill you with a good feeling when you hear it or, or do you feel awkward when you hear yourself sing
5: i feel a little awkward to tell you the truth but uh you know, I do the I do the best I can and let the chips fall.
1: Well, they're falling pretty uh, but, high, I think. You were in Vegas. Well, you're doing man, pretty I appreciate
5: good. that. Well, thank you very much, my my friend Ryan Tindall, who uh, produced that record. He he did a jam up job, but uh. So what, uh, what? I just want to I want to just tell you right quick. Yeah, man, thank you for having me on the show, and uh, thank you for your service, all of you um, veterans. Uh, have the utmost respect for y'all. It takes a lot of guts to do what you
1: do. Well, you know why we do it? We do it so that people like yourself can rise to the occasion and be the best of the best and that's what you're doing. And uh, I you know, well, I'm a I'm a huge country music fan, but I'm also a huge fan of artists. And you are an you're not just a singer, you didn't win a competition, you got a contract. You're you're somebody who has crafted a skill and you are I mean, you're you're the real deal. Real deal.
5: Well, thank you very much, man. That's that's a high compliment coming from you because I know you are a music fan.
1: That's right. That's right. Listen, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you drop off here. I'm gonna play a little bit more of your music. How does everybody get this?
5: Well, they can go to my webpage, page, uh, which uh, my management team, which is my wife April, she told me, <laughs> <laughs> JeffHydeMusic.com. And then I have a Facebook page, and they can get it on iTunes and Amazon. Okay. You got and it. Uh, thank you very much for the support. Anybody that might be interested, uh, hope you enjoy the music. And uh, It takes people like you to make people like me.
1: It takes people like you to motivate people like me through your music, so I appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you very much, man. God bless you. Jeff Hyde, everybody. Jeff will be seeing you soon. Let's listen a little bit more of his music as we go out. JeffHydeMusic.com, and the name of the album is Norman Rockwell World. I'm Jonathan Gill. I'm in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. We'll be right back.
2: City to a one night town a thousand headlines driving by those windows blown a mile in the sky get all face to black and you around we turn this city to a one light town breaking news, breaking news straight from the source Sean Sean talks Talk to the people involved in the top news stories John
1: Hannity, Jonathan Gellumir, and for my good buddy Sean Hannity, and uh, man, now that we, you know, we started off talking about the reality of what people are missing with the Pledge of Allegiance, and about the reality of who these people are—these communists, these socialists the socialist, Democrats, all of it's really communism, the globalists, all these people. I, you know, and then we have Jeff Hyde here again. I played his music, uh, go to jeffhydemusic.com, uh, and iTunes, get his CD. You won't be mistaken, uh, for that. You won't be sorry. It's a incredible, the whole CD is good. Um, but I wanted to get back to the music or to the, excuse me, to the, to the problem that we have now. Um, and I, it, when I talk to Lauren about setting up this show, she does it. She springs these things on me uh, every uh, so often. Well, I've never said anything about it, but one of the biggest, I'm the biggest fan of Peter Schweitzer and uh, the Clinton Cash and all these. I mean, it's unbelievable from an investigative standpoint, having been an FBI agent. Uh, when I listen to this and the way it's laid out is to perfection. And uh, he has a new book out now called Secret Empires. How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. He's also the president of the Government Accountability Institute, and uh, he's going to come on here right now and talk about, which everybody knows that I am incensed about, is how these uh, these politically, uh, quote-unquote, elite, I don't know what they're elite at except for criminal behavior, but how they get away with these sweetheart deals these shady deals consistently. So, Peter, uh, thank you for being on. I can't appreci- uh, can't say thank you enough for all that you've done for this country and-, and telling people the reality of the truth.
4: Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on with you, and, and I appreciate your your kind words. And uh, you've been fighting this fight as well for a long time, so I'm glad to be in the trenches with you.
1: Well, you know, at the beginning of the show, I, I read this poem that I wrote, and uh, one of the things in that poem is where I talk about for the first time uh, in, in our hit 242 years, our enemy. Um, now, this enemy's been around for a while, but it has grown to the point where the biggest national security threat we have in this country and the biggest risk of tyranny is a domestic enemy. It's not foreign,
4: it's here. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, look, the Founding Fathers were very uh, clued into the fact that you can have a political leadership, a domestic leadership, that doesn't really serve the interests of the people anymore. It starts serving its own interests. And Certainly that can happen because maybe they, they embrace a foreign ideology. But a lot of times it happens because they start serving their own self-interest. And that self-interest can mean profiting from their office. It can mean you know, taking actions that benefit themselves and their colleagues but are at the detriment of the country. Uh, this was a, a major concern of the founding fathers. And they saw what had happened under the uh, monarchy in, in uh, Great Britain. They feared that it could happen in the United. States, and one of the reasons that they set up the system of government we have the way they did is precisely because of this fear that they, they, they didn't distrust the American people as much as they distrusted the political class and the political leadership that could be formed. And so, you know, that's really the battle that we face today. Things have certainly changed since the founding of the country, but I think where our concerns need to be uh, placed and where our eyes need to be focused is in the same area, which is what is the political leadership doing, Uh, what are they trying to accomplish, what are their motives, and if they're self-enriching, how can we stop them and how can we hold them accountable? And I think that was a big reason that Donald Trump won in 2016. I mean, you know, immigration, obviously a big issue, a whole whole host of other issues. But I really believe that anger at the political class at Washington, D.C. was a major impetus for Trump's election in November of 2016.
1: I got to tell you while, you, while you're talking, I almost blanked out for a second because I looked up at CNN and Eric Swellwall uh The representative is on there talking to, um, why did his name just uh, jump out of me? The guy from, no, no, uh, the, the, the guy from the white house that's always given the president, uh, yeah, Jim, Jim Acosta. Yeah. Two, two of the biggest, uh, I don't know these guys are just pungent liars. Um, but anyway, getting, and they go right back into what you're talking about, but here's the thing I want to ask you about, um, so I talk a lot about the SES, the Senior Executive Service uh, Program that was created in, I think it was 1978, with the, um, uh, when President Carter redid, uh, redid the Civil Service Act. And right. this SES program is, by and large, there are senior executives in the government. But uh, I think they call them uh, a Class C or something. It's a certain group of people that are more political. They're political appointees, they're deputy directors, they're directors, um, and uh, special prosecutors, for instance. All of them are SES. And they're at a level where there there is no overwatch, there is no accountability, They uh, they somehow elude punishment whenever they do things, and... Similar to uh, the politicians that they uh, work closely with, and I wouldn't even say that they work for, because a lot of these SESers are, are autonomous. Uh, they do the bidding, but they're doing it on their own free will. They 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 just do not and are not held to our laws. They don't even consider them, and so, it, how I guess the question is. Peter, where did this start? How long ago can we trace this back? Is this something that goes back to the political parties uh, when they were created? Does this go back to uh, one of the the downfalls of the founding fathers that they, they were elitists themselves? They were they were highly educated individuals. Did it come from there, or is this something that is more recent with the flow of socialism and Marxism and a resurgence of that?
4: Well, I think that's a great question. I think it's a more recent phenomenon. You know, the, the, the early problem, the, the first 100 to 125 years of American political history, the concern was always about government employees and the fact that um, you had patronage and you had um, people that were, you know, running the post office or running these other government agencies that were just, you know, they might be the cousin or the nephew of the mayor or of a senator or, or of a governor. And so they came up with the idea of the civil service. Uh, that we need to have sort of a professional class of people in government that are working. Okay, that kind of makes sense. We don't want cronyism dominating our political system. But the problem when they created the civil service system and then the SES, the senior executive service that you talked about in 1978 is you now created a class of people that were isolated not just from the crony impulses that you know they happened to be related to somebody in power and they were doing favors. they now became, in a sense, insulated also from the American people, and the attitudes have really changed. There was a a, a book released a couple of years ago by. Um, Two scholars from Johns Hopkins University. Um, And what they found, they did a survey of senior unelected officials. These are SES officials and other people in the bureaucracy. And what they found was stunning when they asked them a series of very basic questions. One of the questions was, if the American people want a certain policy enacted, but you are personally opposed to it. Will you carry out the policy or will you seek to undermine it? And actually a majority of, CS, of SES people said they would work to undermine it. Think about that for wow. a second. They're, they're, they're saying we will not go with the popular will. That's a problem. And, and there's a difference, I think, between the elitism of the founding fathers, which was based on the fact that they were highly educated, highly informed, but they recognized that concentrated power is a bad thing. The problem with progressives who are elite is they believe concentrated power is necessary for them to accomplish their agenda. Mm-hmm. So it leads to the abuse of power. So it's a recent phenomenon. This this is a recent phenomenon, and the deep state, which has been discussed uh, you know here of late the last couple of years, uh, is really a reflection of an idea that goes back 30 years ago from the Reagan administration, where there were same discussions of Ronald Reagan was elected to carry out certain policies. Policies uh, and the State Department, for example, bureaucrats would try to work to undermine it. They disagreed with what Reagan was elected to do, and they tried to take matters into their own hands. So it's a major problem, and I think it's probably the biggest fight that Donald Trump is going to have as president is the battle against the deep state.
1: Yeah, and I think the way we're laying it out shows people the reality of what the deep state is. I think a lot of people thought it was um, it was politicians and their. And their uh, political pointees and they their maneuvering, and that's it. But this goes to down to the point of people that uh, literally run the agencies, and as we've seen with the with the Russian scandal, literally can not only create a uh, an entrapment style investigation, they created all the evidence. and i yeah. and I, and it's crazy how people just don't see it
4: yeah no it is and 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 you know, if you go through the, the you know the Peter struck emails, and I know Sean has done this on his show, his radio show, and on his Fox show, and other people have but I really would encourage people in the audience to go through and look at these uh, raw text messages um, between people because what you find is a couple of things you find first of all that this class of people in the FBI, certainly not everybody in the FBI, but the, the, the certain cast of characters we're talking about, they were, first of all, carrying out and seeking out their own interests. They were saying, we don't like Donald Trump. We don't like what he represents. He basically needs to be stopped. Number two, they wrapped themselves in the mantle of the country. So here they are, they're not involved in a campaign, they're not doing things publicly, they're doing things hidden, but they are convincing themselves that they are engaging in this corrupting activity for the benefit of the country. And that's always a terrible sign. When you when you carry out those sorts of acts and you wrap yourself in the mantle that we're doing this for the good, uh, that's when it's scary. And then the third component is deception when you have to deceive other colleagues when you have to deceive the US congress when you have to have to deceive other government agencies of what you're actually doing that's a sure sign that what you're up to is no good uh, and this is how the deep state operates and this is why the sunlight that has come out from these congressional investigations Congress has responsibility for oversight. They are exercising that oversight. And the fact that the Department of Justice and FBI is trying to avoid oversight should tell you something because this is Congress doing its job. So in your in
1: your opinion, all this stuff that you've done, this information you've collected, uh, these things that you have, you know, a lot of people have seen it. They've suspected it. But you literally put the uh, points together. Are these people... Do they want to overthrow the republic? In other words, do they want to um, get rid of the way our government is laid out by the founding fathers and uh, men who were elite in their in their knowledge but also people who, I mean, got on a ship and came across an ocean to found another country, right? So those, I agree with what you said about them. But do these modern-day uh, political elites, these SESers, Are they, and am I wrong in saying that they appear to be people that are communists in their mindset where they want to centralize uh, the power, they want to uh, degrade the freedoms by making people dependent and ultimately change the structure of our government and the Constitution? Is it fair to say that about these people?
4: Well, here's what here's what we know. Uh, I I think what we know based on the FBI investigation and based on the reaction that the deep state has had to Donald Trump is, you know, I would say to anybody, step back, whatever your opinion of Donald Trump, you like him, you don't like him. Set set that aside for a second, because that's not relevant here. It's very clear that the deep state only wants certain types of people with certain views to be president. Because that's really what this is about, right? It's about Donald Trump represented a certain set of ideas, uh, you know, about free trade, about the deep state, about uh, the way American foreign policy was being uh, conducted. And, and we can have a debate about those things. But there's simply no question, I think, when you look at the paper trail of the FBI texts and a lot of the other things that have come up in in, uh, the course of this investigation is they essentially want to uh, have the ultimate vote. They want to select who can and can't be president. And when a major American political party, in this case the Republican Party, uh, elect Donald Trump as their nominee, they don't like it, they don't think he's legitimate, and they think that he needs to be stopped. Yeah. And that, to me, is a dangerous place to be. And, and by the way, I would say to people on the other side of the aisle, uh, you know, if Bernie Sanders were the nominee, you could very clearly find yourself in a similar situation. Yeah. There are going to be elements of the, of the deep state who are not going to like certain Got things it. that Bernie Sanders stands for.
1: I agree totally with you, and so does everybody out there, I'm sure. i got to run, though, Peter, man. We ran that to the very end because there's just so much to talk about. You ever need me for anything? They know how to get a hold of me. You call me. I'm, I'm there with you in all this, and I can't thank you enough again for all that you've done. Uh, Peter Schweitzer, author of Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends, uh, and the president of the Government Accountability Institute. Thank you very much, Peter. We'll be right back. This is John the Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. We'll be right back. (laughs) This is John the Gillum filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Man, shows like this go by so fast. It's unbelievable. And the amount of information that we've covered, we're going to get to more with Greg Jarrett when we come back. In just a minute to talk more about this deep state i know we talk about it a lot but i hope that you're seeing the reality of what these individuals that have dug into this are actually seeing and what they're bringing to you go get my book sheep no more the art of awareness and attack survival you can get down on amazon i keep talking about this if you're a truck driver Uh, It'll help you uh, determine the most likely places where an attack can happen because I teach you how to think like an attacker and to do the threat assessment. Same thing if you're a parent or if you're a teacher or a superintendent or if you own a company or hey, if you're the president of the United States, you need it as well. I'll get you one if you want one, Mr. President. This is Jonathan Gilliam. Follow me on Twitter, jgilliam underscore seal, and on Facebook at Jonathan T. Gilliam. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Gillum <laughs> filling in for Sean Handy with this amazing team that is on top of everything here at the uh, the show. And i got to tell you, uh, my next guest, I had him on uh, on Tuesday. I asked Greg Jarrett if he would come back, and he said yes, and you know him. You're, it, you know, even if I didn't announce it was Greg Jarrett, as soon as he starts talking, that voice, you're going to know it. He's a Fox News analyst and author of the upcoming release, The Russian Hoax the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. And that's available for pre-sale at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, And uh, here it's doing amazingly well, Greg. Uh, And people, you know, that just shows how hungry they are for this information.
6: Yeah, you know, I think it is a, a great explanation of how high government officials abuse their position of power to subvert our system of justice and, and undermine the democratic process. So, you know, I I just got back from Florida. I was down there. A lot of people came up, said, I got to read this book because I. while I'm not familiar with all the details, they said, y- we expect that you're going to fill in those details for us. And I think I've really tried to do that.
1: Well, now, you know, you just used a word a second ago called uh, that subvert. And I've done a lot of research over the past year of subversion. I got to tell you, I don't know if you've seen this in your uh, research, but when you work in the federal government, it is very easy for them to pull the wool over your eyes because you just don't question a lot of stuff. And uh, not when you're investigating like a drug crime or a terrorism crime, but when your higher-ups are doing things, people will go right along with it. And subversion, I never understood subversion. And um, I studied a guy named uh, Yuri Bezmenov, uh, who was a defector from Russia in the Reagan administration. And he, when he describes subversion, it's exactly what what you're talking about in your book. It's exactly what's going on in the deep state.
6: Yeah, and you know when you're armed with almost unlimited power as a, you know, as the FBI and uh, you know federal U.S. attorneys and others. The Department of Justice, all, almost unanswerable to to no one. You know you have the ability to, for example, in the case of Hillary Clinton, to absolve her if you want, even though she flagrantly violated felony statutes, and then these same people uh, at the DOJ and FBI weaponized other laws and regulations to investigate Trump without any legal justification. They were trying to destroy him, and the tragedy of this is that they compromised essential principles and they damaged the nation's trust. There was never any plausible evidence that Trump or his campaign collaborated with Russia to win the presidency, and the FBI had no legal basis to launch the investigation. They invented facts, they exaggerated others, they perverted laws. and ignored statutes, and essentially, Jonathan, the law enforcers became the lawbreakers.
1: Now, y- you know, I- I'm reading an article today that says Mueller hires more prosecutors as Russia probe moves forward. So at this point in time, and this just blows my mind, uh, he currently uh, has 17 federal prosecutors, 17 I mean, when I was in the FBI, you know, you give you give us a a, you know two agents or an agent and a detective, they can go out and do the majority of this stuff. I, I you're an attorney, right? You're an attorney, right? Yeah. So when we say that attorneys are investigating, how much are they actually doing the investigating, or are they just guiding this where they see see that they can get a prosecution?
6: Well, what I've seen is that, that Mueller is increasingly using U.S. attorneys in offices like New York, uh, Alexandria, Virginia, Pittsburgh, and elsewhere, uh, as well as attorneys of the Department of Justice to do a lot of work for him. Now, I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. You can say that he's escalating it. On the other hand, he may actually be making moves to uh, step away uh, and de-escalate because he, he, he may well realize by now that there's no evidence of collusion obstruction of justice is legally absurd and yet he's filed some cases and he can't handle the paperwork so he's increasingly relying on DOJ and US attorneys to handle the paperwork I'll give you an example the Russian trolls case uh, where you know he filed, Uh, an indictment against uh, various Russians and other companies claiming that they were attempting to sow discord in the 2016 election. He never thought that some of those defendants would actually contest uh, his indictment, and uh, and lo and behold, they did. I mean, it's easy to file an indictment. It's hard to prosecute a case. So it looks to me like he is now looking to other lawyers outside his office to handle uh, these cases going forward.
1: So when I – you know, I I giggle a little bit because I I can't take this serious. I I just cannot take um, the the $7.7 million million that have been spent uh, as of May 2017, uh, the fact that this information, a lot of it – if you just look at it, it's been completely crafted, Is has been used to get FISA's. I mean, Greg, uh, are we at a point here where there's going to be a breaking point in the American people or somewhere in the justice system they say enough is enough, or is is this now uh, the norm, you think?
6: I think we've already reached the breaking point if you look at, uh, at some of the polling data. Uh, it indicates uh, that the numbers in support of Mueller are going down. The numbers against him are going up. For you know, one poll in particular, uh, a majority, substantial majority of Americans now feel that the Mueller probe is politically motivated, mm-hmm. and it surely is. And you mentioned the more than seven million spent. A lot more was spent, up to ten million so far, by the Department of Justice and their lawyers who have been, as I mentioned earlier, assisting Mueller. Uh, you know, before this thing is is all said and done, I mean, you're going to have a bill of $40, $50 million racked up uh, by Mueller and, and what is essentially a fabricated case trying to frame Donald Trump for crimes he didn't commit. And you look at all the indictments so far. None of them have anything to do mm-hmm. with Trump or Trump-Russia collusion. None of them. Several of them are just process crimes. In Paul Manafort's case, these are, it's a tax fraud case dating back more than a decade that well predates his brief tenure as campaign manager on the Trump campaign. So none of this has anything to do which with Mueller's assignment when he was originally hired, which is investigate links between the Trump campaign yeah. and Russians. And so far, not a single indictment on that basis.
1: And, and let's let's not miss the point that that $40 million that you're talking about, it's not, we're not talking about technology. We're not talking about they came up with some whiz-bang investigative tool. We're talking about paying for these attorneys.
6: Right, and investigators. I mean, you've got, for example, he hired uh, originally uh, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, hmm. uh, you know, the the now infamous uh, former FBI uh, people who were kicked off the case when it was determined uh, that they had this conspicuous and disgusting anti-Trump bias and pro-Hillary bias. Uh, and you know so there are a whole host of investigators, a lot of them uh, borrowed from the FBI, in addition to the 17 uh, prosecutors on Mueller's team. So I mean, it's a huge operation. What have they come up with so far? Nothing. Nothing.
1: nothing. Listen, Greg, I got to let you go. I can't thank you enough for coming back on. Uh, you helped me out a lot in these past couple days, um, and I look forward to reading your book and also uh, what comes from from this stuff. I'm just—I think we're at a precipice. I'm eager to see exactly where this is going.
6: Well, my pleasure, Jonathan. Anytime. And and you know, the book comes out in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to get you a copy. I hope you'll read it and. We'll talk about it some more
1: You got it And I got you a copy of mine Sheep No More The Art of Awareness And Attack Survival But this is a plug for your book Uh, Greg Jarrett Fox News analyst We all know him Author of the upcoming release The Russian Hoax The Illicit Scheme To Clear Hillary Clinton And Frame Donald Trump It's available on Amazon And Barnes & Noble For pre-order Go get it Greg Thank you very much And have a great weekend
6: Thanks Jonathan You got it buddy
1: This is Jonathan Gillum Filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity Sean Hannity radio show. We're almost done with the show, but don't tune out yet because I've got another little bit of a poem that I wrote for you guys. I want to finish up with this. This, You know, listen, this has been my week. You guys all go on vacation. I stayed here. I covered the radio show and it's my opportunity to share with you all the things that and the way that I see the country to share with you the things that I've done that have molded this uh, this viewpoint of what's happening in this country that other people just don't have because they've not worked inside the government. Let me just say this real quick. I, I want to read just a little bit of this poem for you. It's called The Perils of Freedom. I wrote this as well for another speech that I was given. But I want you to imagine, if you would, that the founding fathers, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I want you to imagine that the founding fathers are standing in a room around you right now and they're looking down at you, how do you think that their faces would be? It'd probably be pretty angry. And I wonder what they would say to you. They would probably say to you, we provided you with the vessel of God's freedom and only you could have ensured that vessel would be supported and defended. What's that vessel? I'm talking about the constitution. But we, seem, we just seem to, to forget about this thing called the Constitution and why it was written. And that, you see, that vessel, our great Constitution, and those God-given freedoms it ensures are in peril of dying with you. Because no one remembers, it seems these days, the tyranny that those founding fathers fled. But I want you to also imagine that those that have fallen in battle, in service, are also standing around you. Imagine that. Literally imagine that they're standing with you right now alongside the founding fathers. I would imagine that they would have disappointed faces and they would say to you, were our sacrifices in vain? We died in service to you so that you could be free and only you could have ensured the same freedoms for the next generation by continuing to serve. But I don't see a lot of people wanting to serve. I see a lot of people questioning why they should serve and will it put me in danger? And They want to change things, the Constitution. They want to change the way our government runs. But now, you see, that freedom and this country's way of life are in peril of dying with you because no one wants to serve anything, it seems like, anymore except for their own special interests. Lastly, imagine the oppressed and those that were enslaved who suffered as martyrs to the growth of equal rights. They too could be standing around you right now. I would imagine they would have sad eyes and they'd be saying, we sacrificed our bodies and lives to ensure equal freedoms for you and only you could have sustained our legacy. But now our legacy and those freedoms are in peril of dying with you. So I'm going to ask you this on Friday, after Independence Day, after the holiday is gone. Consider this, our nation's flag, O glory, as she stands when you walk by a federal building or you may have one in front of your house. Her powerful appearance, representing exceptionalism of our citizenry and the strength of our Constitution. Her stripes, representing the blood of sacrifice, and her stars, they display the unity Of the individual states in our Republic when you see American flag you see strength you see silent professionalism without a word that flag asks you who will you stand for will you stand with me will you defend me will you live and die for me well I know if I died today I know that my legacy would be that I gave it my best shot. I wasn't the best at, uh, in the SEAL teams. I held my own. I wasn't the greatest investigator, but I gave it my best shot. I failed more times than most people will ever try, but I continued to try and I continued to succeed. And that's all I ask of you, having served and bled in training and served with men that died in battle. Don't take your citizenry light Don't take your freedoms for granted And stand together And come back together As American citizenry You are the elite Out of the entire world I'm Jonathan Gilliam Former Navy SEAL Federal Air Marshal Security contractor FBI Special Agent Go get my book Sheep No More The Art of Awareness And Attack Survival And find me on Twitter At JGilliam underscore SEAL And on Facebook At Jonathan T. Gilliam I love you, America. I'll see you next time.